We had a short Bible reading this morning. We have an, another short Bible reading as the basis for the sermon. Two verses that report to us words of Jesus about friendship. They're in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Here's what Jesus says. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is God's word. You can follow along. There's a uh, sermon notes uh, printed on an insert in today's worship folder. If you're following along or listening at home or online, that's also posted on our website, the notes, if you want to follow there. And there's questions afterwards for personal reflection and study. I want you to think about friends right now and, and maybe think, think of the best friend that you have. Think of the closest friend in your life. Um, this is the person that will take you to the airport at four in the morning when no one else will. This is the person that knows a few things about you that nobody else does. Um, this is the guy you borrowed his pressure washer and the pressure washer is still in your garage a year later, but he doesn't care because he knows you have it, he knows you take care of it, and he knows he can always come and get it. Maybe he has a key to your garage to get in, you're that close. Um, this is a person, maybe you do some traveling together, you've taken trips together. This person can correct you better than other people can in the sense that you're more receptive to their criticism and you don't get as defensive or dismissive when they come to you with something because they have that credibility, that trustworthiness. Um, they can make you laugh about things that other people can't. And uh, this is, yeah, if, if you like run one of those Facebook tests that says, you know, who your besties on Facebook are, their name pops up like a top one or two or three. Uh, I'm thinking of a childhood friend right now. We grew up together. Uh, when we were in the fifth grade, we crashed our, not, we didn't try to do this, but we crashed our bikes into each other and we wiped out and we still have scars to this day, um, physically and emotionally from that moment. Um, we went, for, we went to school together for 21 years. Uh, we roomed together in college. Uh, he's a pastor now. I am a pastor now. We're good buddies. He can text me in a text message one word that'll just make me bust out laughing. If anyone else te texts me that word, I'm like, huh? Right? Because of the history there? Because there's meaning to this? He can text me a number. I can tell you what it is if you ask me later. I'll tell you what the number is. You, you would text me that number and I'd think, what in the world are you talking about? He texts me that number, I'll bust out laughing. Because of there's, there's that history there, right? Friends. Friends are important, not just to, in our world, and not just socially and psychologically and emotionally, but friends are important spiritually. Friendship is all over the Bible. And so we're launching this Sunday series called Friendship, Everlasting Love for Lasting Relationships. Everlasting love is, is God's love and his friendship to us. You heard it in James 2 today about God's calling Abraham his friend. And Jesus is our best friend. And based on that, we are equipped to have fulfilling, meaningful, lasting, joyful, and perhaps more numerical friendships with others in our life. 
That's, that's the point of our series and where we're going today. Um, let me tell you a little bit about what the Bible says about friendship and uh, what, what sociology and science says about friendship and even what you're saying about friendship in your life. Of the 27 books of the New Testament in the Bible, the phrase one another is used about a hundred times. I say about because there's some one another's that maybe are a different Greek word um, and then there'd even be more. But let's just, a hundred times the phrase one another is used, this horizontal relationships for the Bible. Jesus said it in John 13. We heard his words today. Love one another. The, the Trinity itself, the triune God, Jesus has had a friendship or a horizontal relationship within the Trinity with the Father and with the Holy Spirit forever. Before the beginning of time. Friendship and companionship and relationship existed within the Trinity. We have, as one of our four core values of our discipleship here at Holy Word, we have one that, that relates to friendship and relationship. Which of the B words relates to friendship and relationship for our discipleship process? Say it louder. Belong. Belong is part of, our, part of our values of our discipleship process. We, we see the Bible. We see Jesus in friendship. Jesus had friends. He had his disciples. He had his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Friendship is all over in the Bible. Um, I'm going to talk more about where it is in the Bible, but we just need to recognize that friendship is a call of God for our lives, even a command of God for us, and it's good for us. It's good for others. It glorifies God. In Jesus' words, if you, he said, if you're good friends with others, they're going to see me in you. And they'll know that you are my disciples. So there's all kinds of good reasons to have friends and practice friendship. Uh, I think we typically look at what would be the widest circle of friends in our world. At social media, I would say, is, is the widest circle of what we would call friends. Right? Do you know what the median is for Facebook friends? So if you take the billions of Facebook users, right, line them up and take the middle person, whoever the Facebook user is, as far as number of friends goes, zero to zillions, which, where's the middle? The median? 200. So half of Facebook users have less than 200 Facebook friends. Half the users have more than 200 friends. I would have guessed it would have been higher. I was surprised when I saw that number. I would have thought it would be, thought it would be higher. Now that follows scientific studies. Scientific studies show that your circle of acquaintances that the average person has in this world, that, that the average person can handle, that we interact with, that, that in, on a face-to-face, -face, not Facebook now, but just in our real world, our, our circle of acquaintances that we could say, yeah, I'm, a fr I'm, I'm friends with that person, is 100 to 200, depending on your how extroverted or introverted you are in your personality and where you live, right? About 100 to 200. I think of my, my Christmas letter list, you know, of those are the people that I send our Christmas letter to. That's probably pretty close to that number, maybe a few more than that. Uh, but then, here's what sociology also says. So we all have that wide circle, 100 to 200. And then, then we have a smaller circle, 
of 15 to 20 that, that probably we'd use the word friend there with some more of some intimacy, some closeness. Um, so I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people, kind of more so like acquaintances, right? But boy, that's, that group, you know, we're, we're good buddies, good friends with 15 to 20 on average, give or take a few. And then scientists say within that group, there's, a, there's this inner core of four or five that tend to be, these are like your besties. These are the, just your, your closest of your friends. There's typically an inner circle, smaller group, like Jesus had Peter, James, and John, or, or Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And then there's the BFF, right? Then, then among your besties, there's like the bestest of best friends forever, the, the, the number one. That's pretty typical in people's lives. You're going to be different on that scale just like I am, but that's pretty average, that scientists say. Uh, so that's how friendship goes. Um, we have circle of friends. We have different levels of friendship. Um, and now here's what the Bible says about that. Let me tell you this, in case you're getting nervous right now that you don't fall within those categories that I just told you. Nowhere does that God command that you have to have 100 or 200 friends, Okay. Nowhere, nowhere does the Bible say you have to have a million Facebook friends or you should only have 16. <laughs> the Bible doesn't give you guidance on that, so don't worry. And it doesn't say you have to have a core circle of friends that numbers about 15. It doesn't say you have to have a best friend. Nowhere does the Bible say you have to fall into those sociological categories. Those are just generalities I'm sharing with you that tend to outline what friendship looks like in our world. But the Bible does say this. When God speaks about friends in the Bible, when Jesus speaks about it, he speaks with divine, eternal wisdom as our creator and our maker who designed us and tells us that we should belong, that we should one another, that, that friendships are a good thing. They're good for us spiritually, emotionally, physiologically, even physically. Friendships and close relationships are very good for us by God's design. And so it's his wisdom and it's his will that we should have and practice and engage in deep, long-lasting friendships. Um, so these are his words then from John 13. This is, I read these before. I want to read them again. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, here it is. This is one of the 100 one-anothers in the New Testament. Jesus talks about loving each other, having a close relationship. He has close relationships. So we see it. We see it in science and sociology. We see how friendship is important in the Bible and from the very words and practice of Jesus. So here's my question. If all of that is true, and it is, there's no disproving any of that. I just laid it out that friendship is so important that God is serious about it, that sociolog sociologists study it, it's good for us. If all of that is true, why, why don't we take it more seriously? If all of that is true, why don't we have more friends? Or if we have 
a lot of them, why don't we have deeper friendships? If all of that is true, why do we have friendships that fail or falter? If all of that is true, why aren't we more willing to work on friendships when they get difficult? I'm going to give you two reasons why. Why we're not as serious when it comes to that truth about friendships. Two reasons. Number one, because as much as God has tuned the human heart for love and friendship, our native language, our native love language, is love of self. Pure, sinful, selfish, survival instinct, love of self. And so what happens is that my love of me gets in the way of my relationships with others. If, if you have a friendship that's faltering or failing or it's not going how you'd like, stop blaming the circumstances. Stop blaming the other person and they're just, oh, they're so hard to get a hold of, or they said this, or they stabbed me in the back, or they went... Stop blaming everything else. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know, God is serious about friendships and, and I think I need to get more serious about this too. I, I haven't been the friend that I could be to that person. So I'm memorizing this line, you know, the, what I just said to you, that very line, okay? I'm memorizing that and reviewing it yesterday. And I have on my phone a voicemail alert. A, a red one with a circle around it. And that alert has been on my voicemail little icon since Friday noon. And I knew who it was because there was a call that came in and I saw the call that came in and then that voicemail matched it. And the call was from one of my friends, a close friend. We, we became very good friends in Milwaukee, and then I moved here, and, and he's, done a, he's done the hard work uh, of keeping our friendship going, and we stay in touch with each other, and we visit each other, and so he's a good friend. Um, that, and we do this. We, we keep in touch. We leave voicemails if we're busy, and we understand each other, and he has work, and I have work, and sometimes we'll leave a voicemail and not call back for a couple days, and, and we, we chill about that. That's fine. But this was his third time that he left a voicemail for me that was like over a week and a half period prior to Friday. And I hadn't, I was just busy. There was Easter going on. We had outdoor service. Then I whisked away to a conference that was hosting a conference in San Antonio. I was just, I just, I didn't get back. I didn't even text him back. I just thought, well, our, our protocol is whenever we get back. And as I'm calling him yesterday to return his voicemail, this third one, I kind of thought, that was kind of crummy of me to not get back to him for a week and a half. And uh, so sure enough, one of the first things he says was, oh, hey, you're alive. And uh, he was kind of kidding and kind of not kidding. He said, you know, I... I didn't hear back from you for a week and a half. I, I thought maybe you were out riding your motorcycle and you were dead in a ditch somewhere. And again, he was kind of half kidding, but not. And I deserve, I deserve to have him approach me with that. And actually, when he did, it felt good. You know why? Because he's my friend and he cared enough to, to say that, to wonder it, to say, hey, I was concerned about you. You know that... 
it probably felt better to me than to him because I didn't get back to him. So I, I said, I'm sorry, I repented. And I said, that's not, it's not the way friendship should work. So I was not the kind of friend that that friendship deserved. I was the problem. And I want you to see how you are the problem in your friendships by looking at my mistake and seeing that. So that's number one, is that we typically are the, we, we have to see ourselves as a problem in the friendship. Here's number two. Because we're human, when there's relationship issues and friendship difficulties, we want a quick fix. Even when it comes to making friends, right? Managing friends, when there isn't difficulty, we, because we're Americans in today's society, we want a quick fix. Give, just, can I just download some data? Can you just give me a powder and, and I'll put water in it and drink it and everything will be okay? Can I order friends on Amazon Prime and they show up the next day in a little box and I unwrap them and boy, that would be easy. Wouldn't that be nice? And so we don't work on friendships like we should because we want a quick fix and people are messy. Even the nicest, kindest, most low-maintenance people are people, and, and we're human beings. And not only are people are messy, but then you put two people together in a relationship. Relationships are messy. They take maintenance. They take management. They're hard work. They take time. And so the reason that we're not as serious about them as we should be is because we just want the quick fix, and it just it doesn't work that way. Um, well, I take that back. It works that way sometimes. Um, <laughs> it works that way if you go to rentafriend.com. You can go there. Let me read their tagline on the home page. It says this. Friends from around the world available for hire. Rent a friend to attend a social event, wedding, or party with you. Hire someone to introduce you to new people or someone to go to a movie or a restaurant with. Hire a friend to show you around a new town, teach you a new skill or hobby, or just someone for companionship. Wow! Turns out friendship isn't so hard after all. If I got the money, I could just rent a friend and keep renting a friend. Now, I get this. I, I, I don't think this is a bad thing, really. Um, and I don't think it's wacky. And I, I, there's there's, when you move to a new city and you don't know anyone and you want someone, you know, someone who's trustworthy and they've been vetted by this company, you know, I can see that. That's, that's okay. I don't think that's a bad deal. But on a continued basis... On a long-term basis, where instead of a relationship and, and giving of myself and someone giving themselves to me, I'm just going to keep renting and keep renting and keep renting. How empty. How empty. There's no commitment. There's no... Well, and that's what friendship is. You can't rent friends. You can't buy friends. You choose friends. Friendship has as its basis love and commitment and choice. So where do you have a friendship like that? I mean, who's, who's your bestie? Were you thinking of them before? I'm going to tell you who it is. Because I'm a pastor, I know all these things. I know who your bestie is, and... Their name is not Steve or Sarah or Dustin or Destiny. The name of your best friend is Jesus. 
He loves you more deeply than anyone else on this planet ever even could, even if they tried. He loves you more consistently. He chose you with more intent and promise than anyone on this planet ever could, including your spouse, including the, the person, if you went to school with them in 21 years and they're your best friend. Um, Jesus is your best friend. He, he says, I love you forever, and he can literally keep that promise. He loved you before you were even born. He loved you before he created the world, and he'll love you forever, and he's the only one who can keep that promise. Uh, so I want to show you something powerful. I want to show you words of Jesus in John 15 that support these words of Jesus in John 13 and make three points about those words, and then we're going to finish up. But I want, to, I want to build up this truth now that Jesus is your best friend. So get your Bibles out, your Bible apps. And this is not projected, so I want you to follow along. Go to John chapter 15, verses 15 through 17. And uh, Jesus speaks directly to you and me about friends and what that means for him and for us. John 15, beginning at verse 15. And as I read this, listen for three things. Listen for Jesus' friendship with you being his idea... Listen for a level of intimacy that Jesus has with you that no one else does. And then listen for the impact that the friendship with Jesus has on the rest of your friendships and on your life. All right? Listen for those three things. So, idea, intimacy, and impact. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Stop. Pause. What did Jesus learn from his Father? He says, everything I learned from the Father, I have made known to you. Jesus is God. He knows all things. What in the world did he learn if he's God and he knows all things? What did he learn from the Father that he says, now I give it to you. Now I make it known to you. He learned by experience what obeying the Father really means. And for him, it meant pain, suffering, and execution on a cross. So he's starting to give you a hint here as to how much he loves you. He says, the the Father made those things known to me, that that's what it would take for, for me to say to you, you're my friend, and I endured them for you. And of course, now he says, this is part of our friendship now, and now I will press this cup of suffering that the Father has given me to your lips, and you will suffer too. So your friendship with Jesus is not always a cool, soft pillow. It involves suffering and, and work but it's glorious and it's good. All right, that's all packed into that statement. Everything I learned from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, impact, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So first of all, this idea that Jesus is your best friend. Whose idea is that? It's not yours. All right, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. 
So I'm thinking, if, if Jesus could pick anyone in the world to challenge him to a game of Scrabble, if he could pick, pick anyone in the world just, just to hang out with for an afternoon, maybe go fishing at the lake, you know, he could, he could pick anyone that he wanted. He could put, pick anyone in the world to have his back, like friends do, to spend time with, to laugh with, to go to school for 21 years with. If he could put anyone in the world, there's no way it would be me. And he proves me wrong. He says, yeah, it, it is you. You did not choose me, Jesus says, but, but I chose you, and that's true of all of you. None of us are qualified to be Jesus' friend. Well, how, how would I ever play a game of Scrabble with Jesus and have him enjoy it? But he does. He would, because he wants to. Jesus, so his friendship with you is his idea. And so Jesus doesn't post his profile on rentafriend.com and hope that you'll see it there and you'll come his way, that you'll notice him. He, he doesn't uh, even just throw it out there, like, kind of like he's searching for maybe something going on between the two of you. Maybe you can be friends and do stuff together. And He doesn't, he doesn't even ask, will you be my friend? He doesn't, because he, he doesn't want you to have to answer yes or no. He doesn't ask. He says... I have called you friend. He doesn't ask. He doesn't ask. He just says, this is it. You're it. I am your friend. It takes nothing from you. It takes, you don't have to find me. I'm coming to you. It's my idea. And he loves that idea. And he loves you. <laughs> he even likes you. Imagine that. Me too. All right, so in grace, Jesus chooses you to be his friend. And he says you're his friend, and that's forever, ever, ever. Secondly, Jesus is your best friend because of his level of intimacy. Um, his, Jesus' intimacy, his closeness to you, his understanding of you. He can finish your sentences. He knows your favorite toothpaste. He understands you. He can walk in your shoes like nobody else can. This intimacy, right? That has a depth and a richness to it that is not matched by a single person on this planet, including your spouse, including your bestie, and never will be. That's why I say he's your best friend, because he has this depth of intimacy with you. And so, yeah, there's all these different levels of intimacy, right? You, you have or, or closeness. You have a level of closeness with all your Facebook friends. You have a level of closeness with the 14 or 15 and with the four or five and with the number one best friend. Different levels of intimacy and closeness. Jesus beats them all. Now, he has words earlier in John 15... So if you're still there and you're patient in your Bible, look at verse 13. Here's what Jesus says. Oh, you see it up on the screen too. It's projected. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. 
I want you to think about this for a second. To lay down one's life for one's friends. When Jesus was laying down his life for you, when he was being whipped and the whips were actually poking and and yanking out his nerve endings under his skin, sending lightning bolts of pain to his brain, and he was thinking of you. And when he was stretched out on the cross and the cold iron of the spikes touched his skin, and he was thinking of you, When he was suffocating to death and, and struggling to, that scary, scary feeling of struggling to breathe and knowing it, his life wouldn't last long and he was thinking of you. When the father turned his face away of, of his own son and Jesus was thinking of you, right in these words, Jesus tells you this I was thinking of you as my friend. He was not thinking bad thoughts of you. He was not thinking, oh, great, crummy person they're going to be. I'm doing all this for them, and they're just going to, they're not going to live as my friend like I, like faithfully like I am to them. He was not thinking those things. He was not thinking of how terrible of a person you would be. He wasn't thinking of all your guilt and all your shame. And he, he wasn't thinking bad thoughts. He wasn't thinking of you as anything but his friend. And Jesus says, almost like matter-of-factly, well, isn't this what friends do? It's what I do for my friends. And now he's risen from the dead, and he has all power and all authority over everyone and everything, and he still thinks of you in the same way. It's like a a king who has time for his own little son. Like like a celebrity who walks past all the other people and comes to you and, and, and says, Hey, I know you. He Jesus thoughts of you. Then after he rose, today and forever are in his words. I've called you my friends. I think of you as my friends. Jesus is your best friend and you're his too, he says it. Finally, number three. I I just think of the impact of Jesus' friendship in your life. Um, Amazing! This is an amazing study. I, I found this uh, in my sermon research. The Harvard Study of Adult Development. Google that and look into it. The Harvard Study of, self, of Adult Development. I think it might be called right now the Harvard Second Generation Study because here it is. In the 1940s, Harvard started, wanted, what they wanted to do is they wanted to study the development of, of men, especially in regard to the relationships. And so they found um, some Harvard graduates and they found some, some uh, teenagers, 19-year-olds, living in Boston's uh, homeless slum areas. And 700, over 700 men they started studying. And this is a, now a renowned 
historically significant study because most research studies tend to be done after the researchers, you know, go to something else or die. This study has continued for over 70 years and it goes on still today. So they can go back and look at the data and the research. And so, amazingly, after the year about 2000, getting close to 2010, they had enough research where they could go back and study it and then predict. Here's what they said. This is our challenge in this study. Can we predict which men who used to be middle-aged men and now are becoming 80-year-old men, which ones are going to be happy and healthy based on all of our research and all of our, our billions of pieces of data? Let's see if we can. And they did. They, so as a result of this study, they will tell you, you can find this, if you want to be a happy and healthy 80-year-old, here's what to do when you're 50 or 40 or 30. And it doesn't have a lot to do with cholesterol, though medical doctors might argue but um, that's a piece of it, but not as big of a piece when it comes to health and happiness as this. The men who, who become octogenarians and 80 years old are healthy and happy old men, and not grumpy old men, and not diseased and dying old men, when they tend to have close, meaningful, enriching relationships and friendships. The, the study uses the word buffer when, when it talks about these kind of relationships. And it says this, having closeness with people in relationships and friendships can be a buffer and, it, and, and having less emotional pain and more emotional fulfillment in your life because of friendships can actually be an insulator against physical pain and even disease. This, obviously this is not 100%, but these are trends. And so they show the impact of friendships and relationships in our lives. What they do for us. Not only what they do for others. And guess what? Uh, that study is amazing as it is and interesting to read about and look at. Really doesn't tell us anything that God hasn't already told us and designed into people. That's his wisdom, and that's his will, and it's the call of Jesus. Love one another. And when Jesus is your best friend, here's how you can love other people better. You can take risks with others because you know your friendship with Jesus will never fail. And you can get messy, and, and you can get downright dirty, and, and, and it can be difficult to engage in relationships and friendships with people because you know that you can never get as dirty and bloody and painful as Jesus did to have a relationship with you, and he did the same for that other person who you're engaging with. So, Jesus' everlasting love is a blessing not just for you alone, but a blessing meant for you to share in your lasting friendships with others. My prayer is that God blesses us as we consider friendship over the next few weeks on these Sundays. 
and that, and that you grow with me, maybe in the number of friends, maybe in the quality of friends, but that you grow closer to Jesus, your best friend, and closer to others. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I see you as my Savior. I see you as a risen king, ruling with all power. I see you as the one who has the ability to, to be everywhere and do everything. I don't know if I see you as my best friend often enough. I don't, I don't know if I tune into the intimacy that you bring and, and give to me freely and that I'm simply not enjoying because I'm not aware of it and, and maybe, honestly, I don't believe in it as much as I could. Jesus, you promise that you're my best friend. You come to me without waiting for me to come to you. You forgive my sins and have mercy on me and choose me even though I'm not qualified. May all those things that that I heard from your own lips today open my eyes and my heart to see how, how close and intimate you are to me and want to be to me even more. And then I want that to help me, Lord. Help me to develop new friendships, better friendships, deeper friendships, and to be the kind of friend to others that you have equipped me to be. Amen.